here with Evan Burke. Evan is based out of Ottawa, uh, works out of intention physical training. Uh, been a, a kinesiologist for a while, it looks like, and has been helping us out with the members classes and our online group classes and is currently running classes at 10 a.m. PST on Wednesdays for our five for five membership. Uh, and we're going to get to know Evan a little bit more today. Um, we can see on the background of Evan's wall that uh, he's an amazing artist, either that or he has a couple of kids. Um, you, you, how old are your kids? You said they're both under four. Uh, one's uh, like probably going to be two in a couple months and three and a half. So, yeah. Just like the uh, ideal, ideal age for uh, like easy to easy to handle, right? Yeah, they're probably the most difficult of ages. Yeah, no, we we're definitely talking to a, we have a few different parents with kind of similar ages um, in the neighborhood here. And uh, this is probably one of the one of the toughest ages, but it's fun. Like they're they're a lot of fun, but it's just a, just a lot of work. But, you know, it's uh, it's nice to kind of have the, um, the movement drills and kind of techniques and little things that I use during my day, especially with my kids, just to just to stay calm, basically, <laughs> which is really nice to have, actually. It's been a big go-to for me. Well, what are your go-tos? What are the things that you find yourself like, okay, when, when I'm like hair-wired, hair hair-wired? Uh, like mewing, mewing first and foremost. So like suction um, and doing, um, you know, most most things with faces as well. My daughter actually loves, you know, you know, she's kind of um, off on a temper tantrum or whatever. I'll throw down some chipmunk cheeks or some fish lips. And every time she like catches a high side of it, she'll do it too and kind of calms her down, which is kind of nice as well. Um, so yeah, and then just kind of suction work and lying on the balls and uh, breathing up the pressure probably, especially like after a long day or whatever. It's a big go-to, grab the balls or just grab some heavy. Watch your changes since we. Uh, I think we first had sessions after your your boy Jeff uh, introduced us. That's right. Yeah. And uh, I remember the <laughs> just the far-reaching effort. I, I I'm. It was my. It was my. Uh, my bad in the communication of it. But you stuck around to to get with it, and I appreciate you doing so. But I've seen a ton of your changes and. Uh, physical transformation but just the calm the patience the same stuff that I like pride myself in working on and being able to develop it seems like you're developing a ton of like good coordination that applies to being a parent and being able to make space for yourself as a person not just a parent yeah for sure um it's funny what was that like probably three years ago now maybe two and a half three years ago that uh I think I first did a session with you but it's 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 wild to think kind of the the progressions that you make even in personal training because like I've only been doing it for 10 years which is seems like a long time but the amount of different things I've been into and I would have to say that uh probably the the most progression I've had as a trainer has happened in the past like two two three years and a lot of it is due to um you know these kinds of techniques which I found obviously very um helpful with my own clients like they they all receive the benefit of of the majority of drills that i do are especially for you know probably at least a quarter of the session is mostly move med based right well if i could uh what is your, your how long have you been a trainer for 
uh, 10 years. 10 years, yeah. 10 years, and I've been on my own for five years. Um, so, yeah. What, yeah. Is your, what has your focus been as far as that 10 to five years when you, like I suppose, uh, clarified what it is you were uh, instituting in practice? Because um, it seems like you're, I've seen a bunch of your page prior to us having this conversation, but just the variety that you've explored, I'm curious what you identify with and having made your sculpted your practice up to this point. Um, uh, probably it's, it's probably been mostly about when I started, it was like at a, at a gym that did a lot of circuit training. Um, it was very, um, you know, looking back, it was very sympathetic workout for the most part, you know, 45 minutes of just like basically, you know, CrossFit circuit based, um, movements and drills and whatnot. Um, and with within that I did some personal training and then I started to do more personal training over doing classes etc and uh, once I got into the personal training side of things it kind of like I did uh, phys ed kinesiology as a university degree here in uh, at uh, at Brock University but anyways um, basically from that you know in personal training got into more um you know, just basically helping people. It was just mostly, you know, as soon as someone would come in, instead of doing, you know, some some kind of squat base, you know, CrossFit based movement, it would be more about like, what's going on? Like, what's your injury? Like, what's your problem? What's your pain, etc. Um, and then through that, I did, you know, FRC, like FRC based systems. Um, you know, I did that for probably about two years. Um, no, I learned a lot from that, but there was a lot of holes in um, in what they're doing, um, you know, in terms of, you know, broadening their scope of practice for people. But for the most part, it's just been, you know, just helping people uh, just be more resilient and uh, kind of probably be less geared towards, um, you know, the mainstream fitness and more geared towards like just trying to make them feel better in terms of their health and uh, well-being. One question on that uh, FRC point. They talk on irradiation, right? There's a, a focus on yes. irradiation. Um, my curiosity is, uh, you, you remember our discussions about kind of the, the heat discrepancy, like radiating your heat versus irradiating your heat. Have you, in your... I mean, they're obviously different concepts, but have you, when you've explored, say, in your shoulder joints or your elbows, creating that that visceral heat, have you seen a difference or some carryover with that? Um, I mean, so, that's a great question. I mean, to be honest, when I was doing FRC, I don't think I really, um, uh, you know, felt irradiation well. Um, I wasn't, um, I don't think I was irradiating in terms of how I would see irradiation now. It's more about um, just literally creating heat um, or pressure. And I feel like at that time when I was doing FRC, I wasn't able to do that um, um, in a way that how, how I would they know be, now. How would they describe their process? As I understand it, it's more uh, joint isolative, like they focus on describing. Yeah, joint, joint by joint. Yeah, a joint by joint approach um, and a very like... Um, you know, the pails and rails, which we regard like basically an isometric on both sides of the joint. 
Um, there'd be uh, a lot of focus on doing cars, which is simply like, you know, joint circles at each joint um, of your body. And uh, with that being said, um, you know, there's, there was a lot of, there, I mean, there was a lot of learning in the, in the course itself, like in terms of anatomy um, and some physiology, uh, but I don't think they actually tapped into what, um, what you're doing in terms of like the neurology of things and actually um, feeling like interocepting the, your joints, if that's how you want to just like describe the system per se. Uh, because a lot of it has to do with, you know, like, as you would say, or like, um, you know, stop chasing pain, it would be, it would be more of like a whole body approach where like everything needs to be, you know, online for you to feel that um, part of your body. And I found FRC to be very um, broken up. Like this is your elbow. This is what your elbow does. This is your wrist. And this is what your wrist does. Um, but nothing kind of like brought everything together, really. Is there, is there value, and I'm going to ask you guys both this question, I guess, is there value in isolative training? So if you were to compartmentalize certain muscle groups, say you had issues rotating your shoulders or you had issues with spinal motion, or say some general issue with motion and you're prescribed uh, some type of isolative behavior, have you found that learning that muscle group in its own has been beneficial to you as it taking you to a new step of like oh maybe I, I i could do more with the body if i were to if i were to grasp this i'm not asking for this time's perspective but at the time when you're messing around i would say um, for for myself i didn't really jump super deep into like okay we're gonna really like own your wrist rotations and they're gonna do 50 of these and they all got to be like all to the extreme spectrum of how far they could go um I, I kind of more jumped into the let's integrate everything and in doing so i think i was uh maybe missing actually some of the more controlled articulations of certain joints and getting more motion out of you know where i can move easier so there was a world where maybe I got too integrated and could have used a little more isolation to understand particular areas. Um, but like, I don't know, at this point, I like somebody I was working with this week, she had some neck and shoulder stuff going on. She's like, yeah, I work my neck. I do like the, I do the car. She'd done the FRC like neck cars, which I think are just like, you know, circles of the neck. And I was like, yeah, that I think there's, there, there can be benefits to like moving in that way. If you really don't understand your, your, range of motion there but i what i had her do was just you know stand in a room and i want you to start looking around and i want you to just kind of like you know observe things in the room observe things around you in a way that forces your neck to move and not just your neck like i want your whole body to move as a system but i want you to like stretch essentially your visual range stretch your ability to perceive part of your environment and that's where i think like the frc stuff can be a little limiting it's like okay in a vacuum yeah this is how i can do it but how does this relate to when i have like an off-centered weight in my hand or when i'm about to do something at speed um i don't think it really relates a whole ton there but i could see where it's like you know not a terrible starting point if somebody just comes out off of surgery to just like okay let's explore your your tibial rotations a little bit just to get you a little more connected into it I have an interesting uh, question then, and I think you guys can both uh, uh, elucidate uh, further on it. My 
you had said specifically integration, something that allowed for you to better integrate the the motion, hypothetically an isometric that allowed for you to better coherently understand some type of structure or motion, hinge, squat, whatever. Have you experienced in the last little while or at any point in your training an ability to integrate the uh, joint efficacy of, say, isolating joint and behavior like a a car or uh, pails and rails or uh, at the same time also being able to integrate as you Ben are accustomed to trying a plethora of different integrative uh, movement patterns and and behaviors that um, when you put them together have you found have you found a, a means to put those two efforts together or is there not a means to put that together um for me personally especially with um my clients who have been with me for a while uh probably through you know the time that i was doing frc and afterwards etc um for the most part what that was missing was more of the feel portion of things i mean each client is going to be independent to their own um issues but i think the big thing um that comes from the 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 background um of frc is the understanding of the different regions of the body and i think putting that together is more about just having the client understand what they're feeling and um and how to deal with um those kinds of feelings um so basically with with the background, I think it's good, but for the most part, what it's missing is just the key of like interocepting or simply being able to communicate with their, you know, with their midline or their central nervous system as you're performing something, whatever that integrative technique is. Yeah. So the midline would be the the integrative. And when exactly. we say midline, it's a bunch of things, but uh what would you say is the biggest qualifier of midline behavior that gets people um, or midline reflex that gets people feeling succinct or integrated, coordinated? Um, I think that I think the biggest one is just having them slow down. Um, you know, for basic portion of, uh, of the beginning of my sessions is mostly either done in like a standing still position or, um, you know, on their back, uh, on the floor. Um, and I think that, um, having someone slow down and actually feel what's it, what's happening to the body, they might be bloated. Um, you know, they might be having some neck issues. They could have a shoulder issue. They have a foot. It doesn't matter whatever part of the body is, but for the most part, if they can just like learn how to slow down and uh, focus on literally the middle of their body um, in terms of like, you know, getting pressure into certain areas that they're not normally getting pressure into or feeling an area that <clears throat> they are not all too aware of or aware of at all um, is going to help them one, take their mind off of whatever their issue is. Um, and, you know, from there, it's it's much easier to deal with that client because they have a better uh, grasp of their own feelings or how or like being able to um, 
communicate better through the rest of the session when we're actually, you know, dealing with things that involve movement or, um, you know, more complex uh, patterns, whatever that may be. Yeah, and the whole idea of like slowing down relates not just to like your mind state, but it's also at a particular joint, you might have part of your joint that moves away faster than anything else that like reaches around or past the midline in a way where you're now uh, dispersing pressure, you're creating strain and, and just a, a lack of integration, so to speak. Um, I was working with somebody who uh, she had had some like wrist and thumb issues and when we were doing just like a basic grip exercise, her thumb would just like every time move very like quicker than everything else and more it would just move more than everything else. And uh, in trying to uh, get her to not do that, it didn't really matter. I was like, she would just keep doing the same thing. So I had to uh, first make her understand that she was actually kind of like dislocating her thumb every time that she went to grab anything. And that she couldn't create really the stretch on the webbing. And I had to like uh, take her hand and be like, you feel this stretch, this kind of like this direction that your thumb can't move in. I'm like, okay, so feel for that and gave her like a, a bit of a positional switch in order for her to create that stretch. And it was, you know, very taxing on her system, essentially connecting a part of her body or a part of her mind that was moving too fast into the task and bringing it back to the body, telling it to slow down and then integrate it. Right. And now like, how can you still move your thumb? You don't need to completely like take your thumb out of the picture. Although sometimes it can feel like that's what's needed. Uh, now can you perform the task with, you know, more of your body in a way that you'll have to slow down. You'll have to like, it'll take more conscious effort for you to coordinate it. Um, but that's like that example at the hand can relate pretty much anywhere. And that's the kind of like integration that, uh, that if you don't have the feeling sensation or the understanding of where you are super quick to move, then, uh, you, you probably won't be able to like do whatever joint circles uh, and, and put that all together. Sounds like what you're describing, Ben, is a like a deference to sympathetics such that if you've built something out, if that's the thing that moves you quicker, then the pacing that that prescribes to you and the lines of tension that are molded as a byproduct are perhaps uh, a little quicker to move and i think some uh, this is probably something that many people get mixed com mixed communication on like sympathetics and stress it's not just the opposite of rest and digest you're not just oh i can't sleep and i can't eat my food i'm not hungry although that is a huge uh, hugely related like vagal thing and you want to be hungry or at least have the appetite that a normal person should have when uh, exhausted of their food supply or energy supply uh, there are a number of things that we should normally have a a wanting for a uh, quote-unquote hunger for um, but at the same time the the notion that rest and digest is the only like qualifier of parasympathetics is to allow people to understand things much more simply than they are. And if we really think about what play is and what fun is and what, enjoy, like all the pictures that you see behind you that, uh, Evan, that are, are qualifiers of 
explorative shapes and colors and uh, things that help a brain develop fundamentally from the onset. Those things are to your children and to the kids that are drawing around them, or if if it's just them at home, whatever, there's a, a fundamental, like, I'm learning what to do. There's dopamine applied to this. There's fun here. I'm, I'm parasympathetic in that I'm allowing for all these things outside of threat to be new to me. And I can maybe learn something from these very perhaps confusing or exciting or whatever it may be. And some people get too fixated on the creativity or too fixated on the task when at the end of the day, what we're really allowing for is the nervous system to try new things, be excited about them. And in the effort of being excited about them, make new connections that look like new ideas, but they're only ideas once we register what they mean to us. At the onset, they're just new patterns. And new patterns, just like new brain connections, need allowances. They need this space to be unthreatened and be molded. So I don't know where this uh, excitable tangent came from. Or where it's going, rather. It was the I, pictures. It was the pictures. Okay, it was the pictures, yeah. Uh, I think at the end of the day, most people in parasympathetics and sympathetics, the dis discussion of what is stress and what is not stress, come to terms with the fact that if outside of stress, you only want to rest, if you only want to eat, you're probably so stressed that you don't have a dopamine, uh, dopamine profile for, oh, what could I do outside of stress? which is to say, perhaps just like a kid, you need to figure out what a hobby is and figure out how to mold some identity around, hey, I'm excited about doing these things. I'm not excited about doing these things. And over a course of however long without fervently determining whether or not you like it or a good because you're good at it or not, treat yourself like a kid, get good at something over time and figure out how to be a person in parasympathetics. Uh, Basically, just as I, I'm sure, Evan, you can describe this in in a ton of different stories, but the process of learning new things sometimes creates some excitability and some newness that feels like raw emotion. And it's kind of hard to disassociate between, hey, I've had a good time and maybe I've committed too much of myself to this good time. So um, I find it I find it hilarious because it's uh, I have like two lives I have. Like uh, my job is like trying to make people have fun. And then my home life is basically like settling. Like let's, let's, let's tone it. Like let's, let's take it back. Like just a little bit. Like if you're, if you actually like have a chance or if you have any kids and you go to like a daycare or something, like my kids go to a, you know, a pretty big daycare. They have 10, 15 kids a class and whatever. Um, and just, if you just like stand there for like 10, 15 minutes and watch kids like play in the playground or um, inside and, and whatever they all have their own little like things but they're very they're stoked they're like that like you give them a shovel in the snow they're stoked if it's raining outside they're stoked like if you go inside like there's painting going on they're they're like all of them jazzed up like you know if you give if you would give you know um, any one of my adult clients just a little bit of that like 10 minutes of that a day they would feel so much better, but it's just, they, you know, there's a lot of people who don't, you know, interact with that age group or interact with that kind of childlike behavior um, that I think that a lot of people actually need um, at least for like 10, 20 minutes of their day, which would be awesome. But, you know, that's
that's just not the case. Do you feel like you get a lot of that just having kids around as a whole, or are you like, in a way, you're kind of oh yeah, played out? oh for sure. Uh, no, I, I get you know I I work um, you know I work for five I work from like five thirty to like you know three or four in the afternoon every day, and then I have my kids in the evening time basically. Um, so you know it's it's like there's pros and cons to like how much fun they're having, but at the end of the day, like it's it's exhausting, but um, you know, there's just so much joy in two kids. Well, actually not joy, that's a bad word. There's, cause there's so many emotions, but like, there's just so much, um, there's just so much life in kids that, uh, you know, you don't see, I don't see for the other parts of my day. Like, you know, you get two kids that are like under four years old. They're just like, they have the energy of like 30 adults, like two kids. And like, it, <laughs> just crazy uh but it, you know it's it, it's interesting to see the um the divide of energy that happens you know from childhood to teenage years to you know your 20s 30s and then you know once we start getting older and older people tend to have less fun but they would have more opportunity if they would just spend maybe a little bit of their day every day trying to get that back in their lives but anyways as a thank you to our podcast listeners, we're extending our 25% off winter sale until January 2nd with the code MBWINTER25. Pick up our recovery trainer web course, our mewing course, or our new 5 for 5 membership. Happy holidays from MoveMed. You had said a, a distinction between joy and life. And I wonder if your, disting if your distinction is similar to mine. Uh, despite our difference in me not having kids. Um, would you say that by saying uh, it's full of life, your experience in having kids uh, is a testament to the fact that as a person, you are made to experience all the ups and downs of what it is to be a person, fear, anger, joy, uh, excitement, whatever comes with being a parent, whatever comes with being a, an adult that just had their their first, second child, who's managing the efforts of being uh, whatever in that, in that dynamic. Do you find that life means, uh, in some ways, some people might say uh, conquering, or no, 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 not conquering, but coming to terms with your shadow, uh, coming to terms with the way life is not as sweet as we all hope it would be all the time. I mean, it's it's interesting because all of the emotions you you just pointed out like happen within like one minute of time with with like one kid. Um, but yeah, no, for sure, it's it's it, um, you know I I I was in the same situation that Nate was in a way when I was younger. I had my mom passed away when I was like three. Um, and I, I was just with my dad for up until I was like eight or nine. Then I have a stepmom as well. They just live around the corner. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's very bittersweet to have kids that age when you didn't have, um, you didn't have that growing up. And it's very interesting, um, um, to see the dynamic of, you know, how your kids see, you know, mom and dad in terms of like 
what they what they're looking for from you in a way. Um, and it, you know, I, obviously it's a little bit different here and there with, with certain parents, et cetera, but, you know, for the most part, like, it's just, um, um, I say it's, it's, it, it's so joyful, but at the same time, you see how so many people could be, um, you know, how their nervous system could be so affected by their childhood and their upbringing. Um, and I feel like that is something that a lot of people uh, hold on to, especially into their pain cycles or um, you know, how they interact with others, et cetera. Um, but you know, for, the, for the most part, when it comes to having kids, like you just, I feel like the, I saw a stat the other day too, it was like um, millennial dads are like, crazy percentage spending more more time with their kids um you know changing diapers that kind of thing um and it's it's just interesting to um to have to have had my dad um growing up who was always there even though he worked full time um and he was kind of like the mom he would go to like he told me that he'd go to like mom groups and he'd be like the only dad there you know this is back in the 90s whatever um, and now like, you know, you'd see like a mom group and there'd be like four or five dads there, easy peasy. Um, but anyways, going back into just simply having a good upbringing and that's, that's really, you know, when you look at a child, uh, when you look at a child in their environment, the best environments are ones that are just like safe, like a safe environment for them to just explore, um, and, uh, yeah, just, just be safe really. Um, and that's, I feel like those environments are missed in a lot of cases, unfortunately. Well, it's also having parents that are regulated or have their own regulatory nervous system, like there for the child to, to mirror or to kind of latch onto if the, the child, um, yeah, I, I don't have kids either, but from what I can understand about uh, development, if the child is in that situation where say that whatever parent is freaking out is like kind of disassociating from the needs of the child because they just can't regulate their own what's going on internally then the child's one going to feel some sense of like abandonment in that moment but also like kind of copy the same or kind of have the same reaction and potentially carry that through is that something that you're kind of conscious of of like you know you are kind of a mirror for your kids yeah for sure yeah most definitely um you know especially i especially when like you know when you have a when you have a baby from like zero to one years old it's it's a little bit different but when they start becoming like little humans and uh you can kind of see it and like they'll test you and they're just little used right and i i remember being a kid and i was not not the most uh uh i wasn't the best kid but, uh, you know, I can see that in my own kids when I'm watching them. But at the same time, like, you want to make sure that uh, you're always there and that you, you have as much patience as you possibly can. Um, and it's just important that, you know, you keep the environment safe. That's kind of the biggest, that's the biggest thing for, I think, me and my wife is as long as the environment is safe, then, you know, they're, they're they're probably going to be going through all the emotions, but at the end of the day, that's, that's what they'll, uh, that's what they'll, um, that's what their body and their mind will kind of latch onto is just that safety. Um, and you can see it when you're looking at 
you know, different kids at the park or at daycare, et cetera. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my mother-in-law is a guidance counselor and she deals with a lot of like, you know, um, different, uh, homes and that kind of stuff. And it's just interesting to see, you know, how certain kids are, um, how, how they are in comparison to others, um, in relation to their environment. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, their, their guardians who are around them. And exactly what we started the conversation with is just mirroring. Uh, so having, you know, good people to mirror off of. I think that oftentimes adults don't make tangible their needs or their wants for the future until the future is there in front of them. And in the case of many unhappy households, uh, it comes at the time of an unexpected pregnancy or child, or in the case of, um, I guess, I guess for us, Evan, perspective, growing up a little bit different than other kids, having uh, a mom out of our life earlier on. Uh, for me, it always made me look and see the different, like, relationship other kids had with their mom or their their parents, and. Uh, despite not having an ideal relationship with my dad, uh, I do still, I still love him and I still want for there to be some kind of improvement within the family. And I think from a young age, I've always sought for resolving things that haven't taken place. And I wonder if you experienced similarly that from your context, you you want for there to be things managed prior to them them taking place or prior to there being an issue, or you you see them unfolding in people who may not have similar experience and may not know how to contextualize what it means to have uh, the panic that they're experiencing in that moment uh, thought about and felt over the course of many years. For yeah, I mean, the thing is, is I grew up with. I think you get two or three brothers. Um, I have six siblings. You have six siblings. Damn. See, I had just one brother, um, growing up, and uh, I just lived in a you know a house full of guys, obviously. Um, and I feel like, with that being said, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of what I see from my wife in terms of what she is for for the kids, et cetera, and also. Uh, also having a daughter, so like two women in the house, it's, it, you just, uh, there's just, there's, there was definitely something lacking in my childhood. Um, and I always knew that from the, you know, from the time my, my mom probably passed away, where it's like, you just, it, when you would go to friends' houses, or you'd see, you know, other kids interact with their mom, etc. There was just a, it was just a different vibe. And my dad was a great dad, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a mom in a way. Obviously, he wasn't a mom. Um, well, he was a mom and a dad, but he, he wasn't a woman. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, what I'm trying to get at is basically, um, you know, there. This was the uh, '90s, and it meant something different. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And um, you know, see, obviously, seeing now what my wife is to my kids, and um, and how important, uh, you know, a mother's relationship is with their kids. Um, I, I definitely feel like, I, you know, it, I probably would have grown up completely differently and who knows if I would have been a different person, but at the same time, um, uh, you, you really start to see 
that there are some you know biological distinctions for um, you know for a really good reason, uh, especially for you know especially for males. I feel like um, you know as as you know as a kid growing up, you you, you kind of you need those role models in your life, and they are they're just so um, they're just so important, especially because you know just learning empathy and compassion and um, being more level-headed. Like I didn't have any of that when I was a kid. And I feel like a lot of that was due to not having some form of, you know, I had grandmas, but like I, I didn't live with my grandmas, but um, I feel like that's really important for, for males growing up is to have that kind of, at least some form of, you know, um, mom or like women role model in your life, because that's, uh, that, I just feel like that's really super important for, you know, young, younger males. Yeah, I had, uh, my mom passed when I was 11, so I, I experienced my childhood up until before puberty. Uh, I don't have a recollection of time between maybe 12 and 15, little spats and whatever, but I do remember a number of years prior to my mom passing, and uh I can say that I think just because I was her first kid and because she spent so much time with me, I was kind of raised into a lot of nurturing and uh, attention that I my siblings perhaps didn't get the same time for, like flashcards and, you know, I was her first kid. Um, but in the same, I was also like highly sensitive as a kid and she experienced there being like a, I don't know, I mean, Perhaps because she herself was very sensitive and I was uh, ADHD or a number of different diagnoses. Uh, she invested a lot of energy into me. And I think in the same way that uh, over the course of many different things, being heavy investments to uh, to a nervous system, she she got sick from overtaxing herself uh and i think something to be said about being being an adult with a lot of nervous responsibility whether it's you have to be a mirror for a lot of people or you have to learn what it is it, it, it what what mirror you're looking back in uh i can't speak for her because i'm this is just my own my own presumption that stress was the thing but what stressors those were, I can't say. Uh, at the end of the day, if we don't take care of what it means to tuck ourselves in at night, the same way that we would want to tuck our kids in or you tuck your kids in, uh, wanting to invest some notion of even if we don't have it, we still deserve it or there's still some nourishing and like love that we can self self uh, um, satiate like not patting ourselves in the back but I think there is for everyone and I think this is something we all come to terms with when we've lost something or if we've we've contextualized what it means to lose something in the face of other people not losing something and it can go the way of resentment which for me it did for a while and not really understanding where it was that I like fit in or how it was that I was supposed to like be relaxed when any environment asked me to uh 
we get to appreciate that fundamentally if we don't take part in enriching our own inner child and not even saying like it's a it's a little kid that needs uh, awareness it's like a, a limbic process a baby that never learned words so we taught it a couple of words we said go on do this job and before it really learned the other words that meant these other feelings it had these experiences that elicited those feelings and from those feelings it uh, retroactively tried to learn those words what I'm trying to say is there's some things that a brain needs to contextualize in a safe environment that it can do at any age but if it's created too much identity over or over and around feeling that's too complex and too engrandized, the person becomes the feeling. The person becomes what effectively is a, a victim in the face of a, a bunch of people not understanding their circumstance, which I grew up very much that person. Uh, and I, it was in large part like I was empathetic, but I didn't know how to ask for the same empathy in turn without feeling one, uh, excuse my vernacular, a pussy, and two, like I'm being pitied by everyone that looks me in the eye or tries to for a second. So I kind of like pushed and resented even the effort to take that initiative. And I guess aside the uh, tangent I'm going on, my, my point being that unless a person understands what it means to be viscerally invigorated without uh, words to describe their experience, I think that person's probably going to hit a wall just like they would in a car experience whiplash neuro neurologically and just be woozy and really hard to associate with for a period of time. And that period of time is memories lost and connections lost. And that personhood that you could have otherwise connected with is going to be personhood lost and we don't want to look back on time and be like shit what could i have done who could i have been uh and it's not the way to be for sure but what we can do in the moment is we can contextualize maybe if i have a bad experience i'm going to do my best to not be a cherry on top of the shit pie i'm going to do my best to maybe clean up some of it or breathe it in and fucking take stake of my circumstances maybe i made some of this mess maybe i was a part of this maybe i could have prevented this and all the things that we can contextualize in a realistic fashion without hyperbole uh, hyperbole is uh, making exaggerated uh, an exaggeration of our feelings um i think it teaches us just like your kids um not to scream when someone takes their favorite toy not to get upset when uh, playtime's over and they have to go home and they didn't know that the clock was already or uh, you didn't have their favorite snack because they ate two of them yesterday. Like the same thing's happening for people who just don't expect the bad thing to happen. So if we don't attach ourselves to the good thing and we better attach ourselves to who we can be regardless of that. Present, midline, stable. I think we can go a long way. There's a lot to digest with that, but I think that one <clears throat> one thing that stuck out with me was was just the simple fact that um, 
with the with the fact that you know you grow up without having you know a, a mom or like you lose your mom halfway or whatever that is um you have to become kind of your own nurturing kind of mother or and or father or both basically um and and i think that's an important lesson that people or you know myself i need to learn is to just kind of you know touch base with yourself and in terms of the drills that you know uh, come from movement a lot of that has to do with you know connecting with you know parts of your body or connecting with with parts of yourself that uh you know otherwise we're we're not really well connected to the system as a whole and when it comes to uh you know learning how to just just be more calm and be more relaxed and uh and, and deal with situations instead of you know, being angry or um, having, a, you know, as my kids do a lot, is temper tantrums with yourself is, uh, you know, those kinds of tools really help because those emotions are fine to have, but understanding that, um, you know, you have to have the ability within yourself to control those emotions. And, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, your limbic system and your nervous system, how you uh, interact with, with your midline. Um, and that's been, you know, of great benefit, not only in the past, you know, couple of years in terms of my, my past, but also with, um, with my kids. So, so yeah. Evan, as a, as a dad, do you find uh, that there's almost in the way that you approach clients that there's a type of client who almost needs more of that, like a sternness to the, the uh, approach that you have uh, versus somebody who maybe needs like a little more nurturing like there you obviously a coach is weird that it can kind of turn into almost a parent relationship because you are instructing them to do things for their own good essentially um and it's interesting that you can you know obviously shape shift a little bit depending on the person in the day do you kind of notice some carryover between the way that you have to kind of be stern with your kids versus stern with some clients versus more like nurturing with others a hundred percent like it, it's interesting because if you look at all of your clients as in like in a whole you interact with each one a little bit differently, um, mostly due to you're interacting with them and not the other person. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's some clients who need more of like, like kind of like, what are you doing? And then some clients who need to like chill out, like calm down, like you're, <laughs> like you're being ridiculous. Also, some clients need to laugh more. Um, some clients, uh, some clients are very emotional. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting, but, uh, you know, a lot of the tools I would say you would garner from, uh, being a parent, you, I, I probably say have been quite helpful in, in my, in my workplace, really. I imagine that you had some of that already baked in, like even before you became an actual parent, but yeah, just the, the act of having to really nurture a child or a baby to where they are now and as that continues like those skills will continue to develop for you um has there been like uh much of a, a struggle in like the in in the playing the role of the dad like is that something that comes kind of natural to you because you were mostly around men growing up or did, did you maybe not uh, understand kind of the dichotomy or like the, the yin yang between the dad and the mom 
Yeah. So basically that's a, it's, that's actually a good point. I feel like I've, I had more, um, I feel like I'm, I'm just like ready to be a dad in terms of my own dad, having my dad, you know, I'm on his own basically. And I just had, I have too much dad going on. There's way too much dad. I needed more mom. Um, so that's kind of that, that was like the learning process, especially from the get-go is like understanding, um, as a, you know, as, as a dad, I have like different expectations in terms of not, not my kids, but like in terms of, um, the mom dad dichotomy. Um, and anyways, basically I just needed to learn to be more like patient, empathetic, compassionate, um, uh, softer, uh, and those were kinds of things that I just needed to learn. I didn't really have, uh, and I feel like those things as well are important in, you know, training, um, important in being a coach, uh, for whoever, whoever it may be, because, you know, there's a lot of people out there who, um, who probably aren't set up nervous system midline wise for like the like the dad like the strict dad approach um you know you have to kind of mix in a lot of um a lot of like a, a softer approach uh, especially with with people who are already kind of like really you know amped up or um, who have a lot of stress in their lives etc do you think it's a fair correlative to compare um, the behaviors that you've had to come to terms with, maybe through deep pressure therapy, maybe through mewing course, maybe through whatever, a means to better connect or better consciously regulate dad yourself. Uh, have you seen a comparative to that relationship with yourself translating to your training? Like, how you can um for sure um i mean for the one thing i was like thinking about the other day too when i was doing uh like a mewing drill with one of my clients i was like this is this is awesome like it's in comparison to what i was doing like three or four years ago it's like you're literally having someone stand up and like the, like just be like i remember what i was doing it was like it was just silent screaming and I was having this person hold their tongue on their palate um, while they were silent screaming. It was, it was from the, the, the one where you're, you know, pretending like you're holding onto a really heavy object, whatever it was. And they're just standing in the gym, mm -hmm. you know, with just struggling, keeping their tongue on their palate. Um, and I was like, this is like, it, it was a lot of fun for me as a coach, but in my, uh, you know, from, from what I got from the client and, afterwards as well was you know a sense of like like they just they just looked a little bit like looser a little bit more you know a, a little bit more awake a little bit more there and uh with those kinds of drills as you were talking about earlier and and um you know a lot of people have it's it's like this like oh you, you know rest digest you know road or like fight or flight road and it's like either or but it's like well you, you gotta kind of you gotta gotta be moving in between you know merging lanes every now and then and with a drill like that you it's it was it's so great to see someone mixing you know them together to just be more resilient or like just like a little bit stronger and they're not even lifting any weights they're just literally standing 
you know, looking like a crazy person. Um, and then they think it's hilarious because afterwards I'll, you know, I'll be like, well, you know, go do it, you know, go do it at the grocery store line or, you know, do it in your vehicle next to someone. It'll be, you know, they'll give you a sweet look. But with that being said, um, it just kind of brings about a little bit more um, focus on the internal body as opposed to kind of when previously when people would come in, it was a lot of an external approach to, to training. And with, with a lot of the movement drills, it's very internal. And I feel like people get a lot out of that. And then they can take that, what they learn from those drills and put that into anything else. It doesn't matter what it is. And you can get so much out of whatever it is else you're doing um, with just being able to have felt that in training. So stress is stress is stress. It doesn't matter how, where, and why you're saying an elevated heart rate is an elevated heart rate. The thoughts that may create that or the actions that may create that are irrelevant, respective your ability to integrate some degree of in our case, movement exercise to bring back or come back to calm. And that may be upregulating sympathetics or downregulating them, whatever whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, you're saying that there's an overlap there. That's, that's yeah, there's definitely definitely there's definitely an overlap there. But I think as going back to what I had said, it was like what I what I feel like a lot of people need is just to be more resilient in a way that like um, they're not like um, 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 it's more about um, it's more about being able to uh, feel stronger without being so amped up just just having kind of that swagger about yourself or just like a bit more of a confidence within you to be like you know like my you know coming in and constantly having aches and pains and stuff and you start to see that a lot of the drills, um, uh, especially the ones that no equipment is needed, are some of the most beneficial drills because people realized how much, you know, how much bigger they are or how much more tone they can garner by just simply standing there and putting some effort into a position or actually taking the time to communicate with an area of their body. Um, and yeah, with the movement drills themselves, I find that they do create um, a lot of resilience in people, especially week to week, because you can just start to, you just progress, progress, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever it is we are doing from the start, you can progress the drill into something that um, makes them so much stronger than they thought they would be. Like th there was this one client I had who is, you know, she has that, she's scared of heights, um, you know, scared of bugs, uh, she's scared of having a, she was, she's, she had the fear of literally, she's fearful of some of a weight being on her. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like we're, we're going to be putting a weight on for sure. Um, but you know, she was always scared of everything. Um, and you know, just slow exposure therapy towards, you know, a lot of the stuff and principles we're doing. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of the boxes were just simply ticked. And once again, they're ticked is because we've just slowly started making her more resilient, a little bit stronger, um, you know, from just basic drills. And that is in a nutshell, um, you know, what I, I feel like MoveMed was for me uh, when I first started and how I still see it a little bit. Good.
yeah, it's a good place to, to wrap um, conquering fears or exposing yourself to fears and not letting fear shrink you. Um, so yeah, man, thanks for, for coming on, Evan. Sweet to, to, to chat about your fatherhood and development and your training and stuff. Um, so yeah, you, Evan, you're, you're doing the classes Wednesdays, 10 a.m. So anyone wants to just put up 25 bucks a month, you can train in a group class with Evan um, and get some, some coaching as well as our other classes and the, the recordings we have. Um, anything else you want to plug? You're, you're out there in Ottawa, right, Evan? <laughs> I got no time, man. I don't plug anything. <laughs> I, I'm ba- I feel bad because I should always uh, I should always post or do something, but just I got no time, no time right now. Okay, man. Well, well, thanks for making the time for us here. Um, we'll let you get back to the uh, the rest of your your night and some some kid free hours, hopefully. Yeah, much appreciated, guys. Have a good night. Good to see you. Good to see you, mate. Bye.